I like that sermon opener. Do you guys like <laughs> So we're talking about Real Talk from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 through 7, and uh, we're in uh, leadership right now. We'll talk about that today. Next week, we're going to start a three-part series on sexuality. Uh, Paul hits it really hard in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I just want uh, you to know, as parents, uh, seventh grade up, I wouldn't see any issue, but uh, you're the parent, and you can decide if you want your children to be involved in this. We're going to be uh, doing that next week, uh, sexuality, and then we have a uh, celebration weekend. Saturday is a fun time for all our campuses to come together. We have a kind of a tailgate uh, party uh, in the uh, FLC, and then we'll come in here to worship on Saturday night. Then Sunday, back to our campuses for baby dedications and baptisms and new members and uh, mission commissioning and a bunch of different things. So that's first and second. But I wanted you to know about the sexuality series. Okay, you guys good with that? All right, so uh, a few months ago, this college-age kid sent me these things he called one-liners. They're more than one line, but that's just what he called them, and like 50 of them. And so um, I, I, uh, they're kind of like not leadership principles, but things leaders should know, okay? It just fits into this little series here. So uh, I had my, uh, our daughter uh, pick out uh, the top 10. So I'd like to share those with you today. Is that okay? Okay, that was a rousing, um, okay. Now, I've, I shared this in uh, places other than the Bible chapel, and uh, one place I shared it, it went over extremely well, which gave me the confidence to share it again, and it was a complete bust, all right? So we'll just see how it goes here at the Bible chapel, all right? You guys are good? You kind of got, got to get into this a little bit, all right? Got to work with me. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll start out slow. You ready? Always remember, you are unique, just like everybody else. Okay, not bad. Okay, quickest way to the quickest way to double your money is to fold it in half and put it in your back pocket. It's pretty good, pretty good financial advice here. As a leader, you need to know these things. You ready? Here's one you need to know: If at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you. This is actually from the Proverbs. Never miss a good chance to shut up. All right? Paraphrased a little bit, but that's from the Proverbs. Now, this is just something you didn't know. I don't know if you knew this or not. You knew Alexander Bell invented the telephone, right? But here's what you may not have known. When Alexander Bell invented the telephone, he had already missed 13 robocalls. Did you know that? That was really funny. You have to think about that a little bit. You get that, you get that one? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Borrow money from a pessimist. Borrow money from a pessimist. They don't expect it back. That's pretty good advice there. <laughs> so when, um, when, uh, Lori, when the kids were little and Lori would go on uh, uh, retreats and stuff, she'd be gone, I'd be with the kids and inevitably something would break around the house. Usually my fault would be playing a game or whatever. So here's what I always told the kids. I didn't say it was your fault. I just said I was going to blame you. Right? Sometimes you've got to do that. Three more. Three more, and they won't be over fast enough. Here we go. You ready? What has ten actors, four settings, two writers, and one plot? Ten actors, four settings, two writers, and one plot. (laughs) 
the best one, and I didn't even get to do the punchline. <laughs> Let's do that one over. You ready? Because I'm going to say this one. What has 10 actors, four settings, two writers, and one plot? You ready? 632 Hallmark movies. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> All, right. All right. Now, as leaders, sometimes you feel like this. You don't ever do this. Don't ever say it. You just feel like this sometimes, right? I didn't say it was good. Don't walk behind me, for I may not lead. Don't walk ahead of me, for I may not follow. Don't walk beside me either. Just leave me alone. <laughs> I didn't say it was good advice. All right, we'll end on a high note here. You ready? Before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and have their shoes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that is a sympathy applause, and I'm, I just I don't accept it. All right, let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, thank you that we can come together and we can, uh, we can sing and we can interact together and, uh, Lord, we can, can meet with you. Our, our, our God, our Father, the creator of all things. And we pray, Lord, today that you would open our heart to hear from you the things that you want us to know, the things that you want us to do. Uh, Lord, take those areas of our heart that are hard and, and soften them. Take uh, things that we don't want to hear and move us to action. Take our our distracted minds, and focus them, Lord, on what you have for us today. Allow us to take one thing away to do, to change, to work on. Because, Lord, we, we want to crank it up in our walk with you. So be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you're a believer, God has called you to himself. Think about that. The creator of the universe has called you to himself. You are a child of the living God. You have this new identity. We use the word safe here with two S's. In Christ, you are significant. You never have to worry about your profession or your position or your status making you significant. You are significant because of who you are in Christ. You are secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're accepted. You're a child of God and will forever be. You always have a place at the table. You're forgiven. Man, isn't it great to be forgiven? God says that he takes our sins and he throws them in the sea of forgetfulness. He hides them behind his back. He, he separates them as far as the east is from the west. I love the passage that says he remembers our sin no more. And you're empowered. We, we have the Holy Spirit living within us and whatever assignment God gives us to do, he gives us everything we need to do to get that assignment accomplished. Last week, we started uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 a study on leadership, and we said two things. We said some people have the gift of leadership. Romans chapter 12, verse 8, some people have the gift of leadership. If you have the gift of leadership, Paul says, lead diligently, lead carefully, lead attentively. If you have the gift of leadership, you know it. You like to be in charge, not in a bad way. You like to set vision. Uh, you like to set direction. You are a leader. God has given you that gift. So some believers have the gift of leadership, but all believers have 
the responsibility of leadership. Some have the gift. Every believer has the responsibility. If you're in a dating relationship and things are going a, some ways that you don't think is right, you have a responsibility. You have a role of leadership saying, no, we're not going to do that. We don't do that here in this relationship. A role of leadership. If you're in a friend group, you're, you're a leader if you're a believer in that group. You need to lead in action and in words, whether face-to-face or social media. If you're in a work position, you lead with integrity. God has given you that responsibility. I believe that every person in the workforce, man, believers should be the best workers at the place, right? If you're a parent, you're leading in your family. Responsibility to lead your children well. In a marriage, you're leading in your marriage. So some Christians have the gift of leadership. All believers have the responsibility of leadership. So when it comes to leadership, when it comes to leadership, no one can opt out. No Christian can wash their hands of it. No Christian can be passive about it. We have the responsibility. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, take your Bibles and open there. We uh, are looking at these uh, principles of leadership from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes about these in many other places, but we're focused here. And last time, we saw that these four biblical principles of leadership. One, leadership is God-given responsibility with God-sized challenges. If you're, if you're a believer, God has given you some significant things to do and given you everything you need to get it done. Leadership is based on the bold confidence we have in Jesus. Most of the things God will call us to do will be over our heads. But our confidence is not in and of ourselves; it's in the Lord. Leadership, number three, is a servant leadership. We said surrendered to the Lord, committed to others. We'll talk more about that today. And servant leaderships are stewards of the gospel. So the gospel is not just the four spiritual laws, not just uh, we're a sinner, can't save ourselves. Christ died for you, you can trust in him by faith. The gospel is all of scripture. And so we have this, this message from God, this love letter from God, and now we're the, we're the stewards of it. We need to manage it well in our lives. We need to, we need to uh, teach it well to others. We need to exemplify it in our actions. All right, those are four. Today we're going to look at three more. Here's number five in our list. Servant leaders are responsible to please God, not people. Anyone here have a tendency to please people? Raise your hand. A lot of us, right? And you had to raise your hand just to please me because I asked the question. <laughs> Servant leaders are responsible to please God. And when we're people pleasers, man, we get ourselves in a wad of trouble. Look what Paul says in verse 3. Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or in a human court. Paul says, for me, I'm not going to worry when people criticize me. I'm not going to worry when they don't like something I do. I can't please everyone. I don't care if it's one person or a group of people. And then Paul gets very vulnerable. Check this out. At the end of verse 3, he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. What's Paul saying? it's a small thing for you to judge me, but man, when I look at my motives and intentions, sometimes I don't even get it. Sometimes I can rationalize it. Sometimes I'm not even sure if I'm really doing something in a, in a, in a, with pure motives, with pure intentions. 
And then Paul says in verse four, I don't think there's anything going on in my life. At this point, he says, I'm not aware of anything against myself. There's no like big sin standing out. There's no hypocrisy going on. But I am thereby, that I'm thereby acquitted. But then he says at the end of verse four, but, but it's not about me. It's about the Lord who judges me. I'm going to allow the Lord to judge me. Now Paul's not saying that self-assessment as, as a believer is not important. He's not saying that at all. We need, to, we need to look inside our heart. We need to make sure we're doing the right things. He would agree with the leadership guru Peter Drucker who says self-assessment is the first action requirement of leadership. The constant resharpening, constant refocusing, never really being satisfied. But Paul says we need to assess ourselves. But, but he says at the end of the day, again verse 4, it is who who judges? It's the Lord. He has the final call. The reason is so important for us to be in God's word. And we put out this 2020 challenge this year to be in God's word on a daily basis. We send it to you right on your phone. If you haven't done that, please sign up for it so we can get it to you. We just finished uh, Genesis. If you've not started, you can jump in anytime. We're gonna go through Exodus. We'll hit Exodus 20. That'll be a great chapter. And then it gets some tough sledding. So hang in there as you go through. But the reason we need to be in God's word daily is this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and discerning, here's, here's the key, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why we need to be in God's word. Because when we're in God's word, when we're reading God's word, It's living and active and we're reading something and we're saying, man, God's speaking to me. I need to start doing that. God's speaking. I need to stop doing that. My attitude's not right. My motives aren't right. Our prayer before we open God's word should be Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Before you open God's word, as you're reading God's word, whether you're doing it on your iPhone or opening the Bible, however you're doing it, as we do this 2020 challenge, Psalm 139, 23, 24, search me, O God, and know my heart, or search me, O God, and make known my heart. Try me and make known my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I'm opening your word. Here's your love letter to me. I don't know sometimes if my motives are right. Sometimes I know they're not. But as I open your word, make known my thoughts. Make known my heart. See, show, me, show me what's there that I need to repent of, change, and lead me in the way everlasting. Look, here's the deal. We, we need to do that every day, but one day it's going to happen, ready or not. Look at verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before it's time, before the Lord comes. And when he comes... He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the the what? The purposes of the heart. See, there's going to be a day when we're going to stand before God and he's going to disclose the purposes of our heart. Then Paul says, each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. So as believers, we need to make sure that we're not people pleasers, but our focus is on pleasing God. Number six, servant leaders are willing to make significant sacrifices. 
Servant leaders are willing to make significant sacrifices. One of the uh, tripping points of the Corinthians was their pride. And so Paul's in Ephesus and he hears all this stuff going on uh, in, uh, in the Corinthian church. Remember, we learned a few times ago that, that uh, some people were saying, oh, I, I follow Apollos. They were people pleasers. I'm following Paulus, I'm following Paul, I'm following Peter. Super spiritual ones say, well, I'm just following Jesus. And Paul said, you're, you're, you're showing your pride by doing that, by following men rather than God. And you're showing your pride in, in, in many other ways. And so here's what Paul does. Instead of blasting them, which he could have done, he says, I just want to show you by an example how it works. Look at verse 8. Sorry, look at verse 6. Paul says, I have applied all these things, all these things about servant leadership, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that's generic, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Here's the written word. You're not adding anything to it, not taking anything away from it. Paul says, I want to show you, and Apollos wants to show you when he's there. We want to show you what servant leadership is all about. And we want to do that. Here's the why. Look at the end of the verse. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. And then look at verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it. Paul's saying everything you have is from God. He's given it to you. And our boast is not in people, but in God. Paul is thinking of there the, the biblical principles of stewardship. Everything belongs to God. Everything we have is a gift from God. Therefore, everything we have is to be used for God. Now, in verse 8, Paul gets a little snarky, and he uses sarcasm to make his point. And I love this because I really believe sarcasm is a spiritual gift. And I think this backs it up a little bit. All right. Here's what he says in verse 8. He says, seriously, Corinthians, already you have everything you want? Seriously? This is it? This is the life you want? Seriously, Christians, uh, Corinthians, already you've become rich? Economically rich? And what about spiritually, Corinthians? Are you really where you want to be spiritually? Without us, without the apostles, you've become kings. Man, you guys are the leaders. You guys are setting the pace. Seriously, we're the apostles, but you guys are setting the pace? And then Paul says, man, I wish you were king so that we could reign with you and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Again, sarcasm to make a point. Corinthians, you're not really where you should be. And then Paul says this in verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Now, the Corinthians reading that would have understood what Paul was talking about. Paul there was talking about what's called the Roman Triumphal March. When the Roman army would go out and defeat an enemy, they would march back into town. There'd be a huge parade. 
all the commanders and officers would ride big horses and stallions at the beginning. Then the, then the, then the next wave would be all the soldiers who fought in the, in, the, in the battle. And the last wave would be the prisoners of war, those that were captured during the war. And then they would go to the Roman the Colosseum in the area, and when the crowds filled the Colosseum, they would kill all the prisoners of war before the eyes of the people. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 9. He says, I, I feel like the apostles are those prisoners of war, the last in the Roman triumphal parade. He says, you guys are pr- you're proud. You guys are kings. You guys are the leaders. But, man, when it comes to the apostles, look at verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak. Are you, uh, we are weak, but, but you're so strong. We're held in, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We, we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we're, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we, uh, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things. And you guys are kings? Paul's saying, man, this leadership thing, It involves some significant sacrifice. Paul is not saying this for self-pity. He's saying that when you serve the Lord, you make significant sacrifices. You do without some things for others. Paul's point is, you, you know, it's easy for you guys to take shots at the apostles. Your pride is taken over, but we're like the, the last of the Roman triumphal march we're willing to make significant sacrifices you know it's a privilege uh for for dave and i to stand up here and and uh, open god's word with you guys it's a it's a it's a privilege we don't take for granted and when we do it we know that we are speaking to a lot of the movers and shakers in pittsburgh and that's pretty cool to think about during the week you guys are going out making significant impact for christ in your place of work. And I know so many of you are making significant sacrifices in leadership. Although you lead at high levels, you are not willing to do the common cutthroat tactics like other people do to get ahead or stay ahead. And you don't do that because of your commitment in Christ. And you're to be commended for that. Many of you are overlooked for advancement, not, not because of your, of your work ethic or commitment or your know-how, but because of your integrity. I spoke to a guy uh, not, not long ago, and, and he, was a, he, was, he was pretty high up in a company. And so a group of, guys, a group of people came over from Europe, and uh, his uh, people over him told him he needed to get escorts for these guys when they came over. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get escorts for these guys when they're here. That's just wrong. He was fired. Lost his job. Because his integrity was, was, was bigger. His following Christ was bigger than his job. He made significant sacrifices. And I know many of you do the same thing. I know many of you have turned down advancement to make sure you have time with your family. Maybe the move would have been the best thing for you to do, but you say, I'm not going to do it. I know students refusing to cheat 
cut corners, bully on social media, fall into the game of, fres- of, of, of fake presence on Instagram or, or Facebook. Parents, man, you guys lead your children not by the standards set by your peers. Man, there's a lot of pressure out there, isn't there? For your kid to be involved in one more thing. For your kid to be doing this. And you don't do that because you realize for your kid to be godly, that's what you're striving for. You've lived out the principle of servant leadership. And you know this. Servant leaders make significant sacrifices, don't they? We see that in the apostles, but we see it most of all by Jesus, who was willing to leave heaven itself and come and die on a cross for our sins. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. One more, one more thing. Servant leaders address issues and take action. Servant leaders address issues and take action. Look at verse 14. Paul's used some sarcasm, but now he he gets very um, gentle. He gets very familial. He says in verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you. I'm not trying to do that. But to admonish you, to encourage you, to exhort you as my beloved children. And then he says in verse 15, you have a lot of guides, countless guides in Christ, but you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I came there, I introduced you to Christ, Corinthians. I came there, I taught you the basics of the Christian faith. I'm like your father in Christ. And that's why Paul says in verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. Be a servant leader like I am. Make the sacrifices that I make. Address the issues. Verse 17, he said, I'm gonna send Timothy to you, my beloved and faithful child and Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere uh, at every church. I'm gonna teach you the same things I've taught the Galatians. I'm gonna teach you the same things I've taught the Thessalonians. Uh, the Romans, I'm not holding you to another level of accountability, Corinthians. This, this is what I teach everywhere. And I'm sending Timothy there to remind you of these things. Uh, some are arrogant as though I were not coming, but I'll come soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of the ar- arrogant people, but their power. I want to see who the real influencers are. And then look at verse 21. Just skip down to verse 21. What, what do you wish? Again, Paul's talking now like a father to his children, he's saying, shall I come to you with a, with a discipline rod? Do you want discipline? Or should I come to you with, with love and the spirit of gentleness? What do you want? And you know Paul, Paul's heart, I want to come to you with the spirit of love and gentleness. I love verse 20. Look what it says. For the kingdom of God does not consist in what? Talk, but in power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in just talk, but power. You see, sometimes we don't need to read another book to figure out what to do, right? We don't need to go to a conference. We just need to address the issues and take action. Some of you may have issues at work. 
And now you're the leader. You're a believer. You have responsibility. And so, appropriately, you have to address the issues and take godly action. Some of you may have issues in your extended family. Man, I don't know many families that don't have an issue. But you're a believer, right? And you need to address the issues and take action. If there's a rift between you and someone in your family, you say, well, it's, it's their fault. Man, it doesn't matter. You're the believer. You're the leader. You have that responsibility. If there's an issue with your kids, man, parents... We're it. Servant leaders address the issues and take action. There's no passivity to being a Christian leader in the role of leadership. Well, you say, you know, I've tried it. I don't know what to do. My marriage is apart and I'm just giving up and I've tried and, you know, I'm done. Well, wait a second. Didn't we just sing that song a little bit ago? I think we did, right? I think some of the words were, God, you are the way maker. Remember that? God, you are the miracle worker. You need a miracle in some relationship. Yeah, well, God can do it. You're the promise keeper. You're the light in the darkness. That's what we said God was. And so now we say, God, we need you to keep your promise. We need you to work a miracle in this thing. And I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to take action. If you read uh, some leadership stuff, you've read uh, Jim Collins, and Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, has these levels of leadership, five levels, and he calls level five, two things characterize a level five leader, humility and resolve. There's humility, there's servant leadership, but they don't just sit around. There is resolve to get things done. That's what God's calling us to do. We just can't sit around. We've got to do the things that we're called to do. I've shared this story before, before communion. I want to share it again. It's a guy named Larry Walters. Larry Walters was a normal guy. He was 33 years old. Uh, he wanted to be an, uh, a pilot in, in the Air Force, but he had bad eyesight, and he couldn't. Uh, so um, he drove a truck. He actually uh, worked for a film studio. But he never gave up his uh, dream of flying. In 1982, Larry and his girlfriend set out to achieve the dream. They, they used forged documents from the film studio, and they went to a, um, a, an army surplus store, and they bought 42 um, weather balloons. And they said the weather balloons for, were for a television commercial, but they had other plans. One Saturday, Larry and several of his buddies filled the balloons with helium, and they began ta attaching the balloons to a lawn chair that was in his girlfriend's backyard. Uh, Larry loaded uh, the chair with the CB radio, uh, with a pellet gun, uh, a sandwich, and a six-pack. And he also put on a parachute and a life jacket, safety first, of course, and strapped himself into the chair. He tied the chair to his Jeep with a cord. After all of his buddies had filled the 42 weather balloons, Larry Walters gave them the go-ahead to cut the cord. He planned to hover around about 30 feet in the air above the neighborhood. But as soon as they cut the cord, he shot up in the air, 
rose 1,000 feet a minute until he leveled off somewhere between 15,000 and 16,000 feet. He floated uh, around the area. There was the Los Angeles International Airport, was not too far away. A TWA captain radioed in to say he had just seen a man <laughs> floating in a lawn chair with a gun. <laughs> he was told to land immediately. After 45 minutes, he was able to secure his pellet gun because at this point, his plan was to shoot the weather balloon so he could stable out, but he was just hanging on for dear life and couldn't get out the gun. He finally got it out. He shot out a few uh, weather balloons, then he dropped the gun, actually, and uh, he shot out enough, though, to, to land in a backyard of a Long Beach house with the LAPD waiting for him as he landed. He made the news. Actually, there's been some poems and songs written about him. He was eventually uh, fined $1,500 by the FAA for an unsanctioned flight. Here's my favorite part of the story. When they landed, when he landed, he had reporters waiting, and they stuck a microphone uh, right to his face and said, Mr. Walters, were you scared? Yep. <laughs> Mr. Walters, are you going to do that again? No. Mr. Walters, what were you thinking about in the first place? Why did you do that? Here's what Larry Walters said. Well, you just can't sit around. I love that. You know what? He's right, isn't he? You just can't sit around. You see, servant leaders take action. First, they tend to their heart. Then they're willing for sacrificial leadership. They're willing to address issues and take action regarding anything going on in their life. And the greatest example we have of one who didn't sit around is Jesus Christ, who left heaven itself to die on a cross for your sins and mine who sacrificed himself so that we could have an eternal relationship with the living God. Today, as we take communion, we, as for believers, this is for believers, you don't have to be a member of our church. If you're a believer, take the bread and the cup. And as we do that, we kind of, we kind of in a sense, come to an altar, altar where Christ was sacrificed. And there we can bring all our hurts, we can bring our pains. We can bring our fears. Maybe God's put something on your heart that says you need to do this, and you're saying, I don't think I can. So we're coming and asking him to empower us, to give us the strength we need. And when we do that, we will find that his arms are always open for us. When we come to that altar, his arms are wide open for us. So, Father, do your work today. As we take communion, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us. Where there needs to be forgiveness, Lord, help us confess our sins. Where there needs to be strength, Lord, empower us for the things we need to do. Where there needs to be surrender to you, Father, help us to be willing. Show us, as we hold the bread and the cup, that we follow the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ, the ultimate servant leader, 
who gave his life for us so that we could live forever with you. Lord, do your work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.